welcome to the Sim Racing Perspectives podcast for June 10th, 2018. I'm here with Alex from The Extra Mile. What's up, guys? And Mike from Sim Racing 604. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Davy Jones, and today we're delighted to have two special guests from Sector 3 Studios in Sweden. First, we have Alex Hodgkinson. Hello, everyone. And we also have Georg Ordner. Hey everybody, how's it going? Now, Alex, I'll start with you. I wanted to get you and our Georg on the show, and we're delighted to have you both on, and we're looking forward to this discussion. I was introduced to you when you first appeared with Paul Jeffrey from Race Department late last year. And if I recall correctly, you've been a driving instructor at Silverstone, was it so? Yeah, and other places. Um, ah. and, and that was not sort of a, a bit of a toe in the water thing that was my previous career um so since 2010 yeah um which which is something that followed on from from doing real life racing myself yeah i got into instructing on driving experience days and corporate days um basically all over the uk oh uh, really and yeah and it did that that as a full-time full-time career for for seven years um and I've come straight into sector three off the back of doing that. Oh, really? I'm fascinated, for example, from your conversations with Paul. How did you then, if you can briefly outline, how did you get into the driving instructing? And then how did that bring you to sector three to do physics in a sim? Oh, <laughs> that's going to be very fun to make that concise, but I'll try. Um, yeah. So, well, I, I got into the driving instructing um, because I was racing... Um, formula fords and sort of various club races like mx5s and a little bit of a brick car in the uk yeah um and and basically off off the back of having racing experience you you sort of get a job sat in the passenger seat yeah. um you know conveying knowledge and, and and sort of getting people up to speed on track um as a hobby at the time i was part of uh, the virtua le mans or vlm um yes. modding group and we made um well the Le Mans circuit for, for R Factor. Mm -hmm. um, so this was this was about ten years ago now, and also the prototype C mod, which was which was massive, and I was responsible for the physics in that. Okay. So I I did sort of in the realms of about 150 cars physics for about 150 cars for that. Yeah. And then um, that was just really sort of a, well, it was just just a hobby. Um, but I kept in contact with some of the guys, especially Anthony, actually, the sound, uh, you know, our sound guy. Um, and it just sort of happened that I was asked about, well, just over a year ago, would I be interested in, in getting involved in, in sector three and, and working with the physics again? And I thought, yeah, that sounds interesting. Why not? Um, yeah. so it was. It was a, it was a big change as you can as you can imagine. I still work every now and then, sort of mostly at weekends at various race circuits. So I still I still actually have the the real life you know experience. I'm still I'm still doing that. Yeah. I'm still doing that sort of teaching. Okay. But nine to five during the week, I am a sector three man. Okay. So you're based in the UK and you're technically working remotely, as they say, I guess. 
Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. so I'm based in the UK, and I'm I'm yeah. only 15 minutes from the front gate of Silverstone, where I am, oh, um, wow. which is great because if I want to go and find out something firsthand, I can just oh, yeah. nip down the road and I can actually Never go and go and take yeah. pictures of cars and look at cars and, yeah. and figure out what spring rates cars are running and whether they sort of the body roll is right yeah compared to what we're doing sort of in game really so so all the time i can keep my finger on the pulse and i can i'm connected to what's actually really happening all the time yeah. which is really nice and uh, do you have a engineering background did you study engineering at university or something or yeah i did yeah i did i did motorsport engineering at university oh really um and yeah that was at, that was at my local university yeah which is, which is something that I sort of put put in the back pocket, and I didn't. I, I got into the driving, and I really I sort of used the engine, the motorsport engineering as a as a sort of plan B. I thought I wanted to be a driver. You know, everyone does when they're eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that didn't sort of quite work out, I yeah, I mean, I've just sort of kept it in the back pocket there, and still sort of kept all the knowledge and kept all the books, and just sort of kept my eye on it all the time. But one thing that I have used that for that's actually quite interesting, and I've not told very many people in this community at least about it, is that I've used a lot of my engineering knowledge and experience to actually build my own race car from basically scratch. Oh, really? (laughs) So so, so maybe at some point I'll share pictures. I like to be a little bit secretive about it because it's not a finished car yet, so I don't don't say too much. But, for example, I I taught myself how to to rebuild engines, and how to sort of calculate suspension geometry. And actually, uh, the, the thing that I'm one of the most proud of is that I taught myself how to make carbon fiber. So, I'm, so I, I made a complete car in carbon fiber bodywork. Really? So, so my, my experience is very much like hands-on. Like I've really like yeah. driven a lot of racing cars and worked with a lot of racing cars. So yeah. the physics of it is, you know, it's all sort of tied in. It's, it's yeah. I like to think that I've got a, a, you know, a bit of a different approach and a different angle that, that other people can't necessarily bring to it. Yeah, I have a friend actually, he's, um, he's big into windsurfing and he wants to build his own windsurfing board and he has been talking endlessly about fabricating his own carbon yeah. fibre and looking up videos of it and, and he is an engineer himself. So, so that's fascinating. So you have the motorsport engineering university and then you have the real world driving and then you're building your own car and then you have the simulation physics that's fascinating but still yeah, fingers in fingers in yeah, many pies hey? yeah <laughs> but at the core it's still motorsport really isn't it yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just motorsport from all different angles um yeah, yeah. so in fact you you should send your friend in my direction because i think he'd i think i'd probably like to talk with me yeah oh god bless him he'd probably probably bore you to death alex <laughs> <laughs> not if now, i bored him first yeah maybe 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 you'd clap you'd knock <laughs> each other out so to speak and georg um if i move on to you i've been following you for a long time and uh, your channel is great by the way and including oh, the mount, mountain much. biking content <laughs> yeah. and i i know you've been on billy strange's show which i'll link to below in the description and many are many who same race and many who particular who play race room are similar with with you georg but georg can you tell us um what is what exactly it is you you're doing at sector three so at Sector three studios i'm uh, mainly involved uh, with the marketing so and that includes also social media management and stuff like that but um mm-hmm. I started there basically as a video editor. Uh, I was creating media and content 
uh, a long time before I joined Sector 3 or Simbin before that. I yep. was, was uh, posting my videos and artworks and screenshots all over the community. And then I did that for a very long time. And um, uh, yeah, I got noticed by the guys over at Simbin for a video I did. And that got me basically the job. And that's still what I'm doing mainly, um, creating videos from new for new content and all sorts of things yeah. that are connected uh, with uh, media. Wow, that's interesting. So you, I, I remember you told Billy the story that you had done a video and you sent it in and you got noticed. And in a way, the theme seems to be similar to what Alex has talked about. Because Alex, you said you knew somebody called Anthony, was it? And Anthony, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is Anthony the sound guy in Sector 3? Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. So it's kind of by getting yourself noticed. And so that's fascinating, actually. Because usually it's... Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of people coming from the community and the, the modding community in particular who are now working within the industry. Yeah, yeah. And you get a, you get a lot of that with, as well with f games like, for example, World of Warcraft and League of Legends, this kind of thing, that people who are passionate in the community end up working at the, at the studios. That's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a great platform to be creative and show your creativity and show your talent. Yeah, that's true. And I guess in a way, the kind of possibilities are endless. Um, in, and in particular now with the kind of graphics and audio on so many aspects of simulation improving. Absolutely. Now, so we, I wanted to, um, Mike, Alex and I, we wanted to talk about Race Room in general, if we can, because we're, we're all long-term fans of Race Room. So I have some notes here that the guys and I kind of collated as a series of questions. So recently, in terms of the cars, and I know that, Alex, you've talked about this with Paul from Race Room. So you recently launched the, um, the 911 GT3R, the BMW M6 GT3, the McLaren 650S, and the AMG GT3, and also the Callaway Corvette C7. And then you have the Porsche 911 the GT3 Cup and also the Cayman GT4 Club Sport. And I know from the interview I had with Robert Wiesenmuller from Race Room that you also have this new um, classic DTM Mercedes coming and also some new um, WTCR cars replacing the WTCC. But can you talk about at all if some of the cars that may be coming to Race Room, for example, Porsche or anything, if there's anything that you can tell us about at this point? You mean uh, other cars that are coming uh, besides those that you just mentioned? Yes. Well, uh, there's not much really we can say at the moment, but uh, we are fully focused on getting the WTCR cars out there. Yeah. Uh, we're trying our best to get all of them in the game, in the sim. And those are actually a couple of cars. That, uh, it's, uh, the Honda, the Hyundai, and what else is there? Alpha and uh, yeah, we're trying to get most of them in the game or all of them if possible. So yeah. that's uh, quite a commitment already. And then we we know for sure that we're gonna deliver three more Porsches this year because that's, okay, that's the deal. Uh, three cars every year. We delivered the first three last year, and we're gonna try to deliver the next three this year. And okay, we're not quite sure yet which ones it's gonna be, but uh, maybe you have some favorites. Well, personally, for me, would be the. 911 RSR, the GT LM car. Mm -hmm. Mike, Alex? Yeah, the, the it's the RSR for me. I mean, it's kind of uh, ubiquitous in sim racing at this point. Everybody loves it, but uh, I think it would be a fantastic addition to, to race room as well. I would agree with Mike here on that one. The RSR is one of my favorites. Yeah, that is a cool car indeed. 
But we, of yeah. course, we always have to see what fits into the game, what makes that is uh, true. sense from a gameplay perspective. Because uh, if you have only have one car in a class, then might not be the best choice. But who's, who says there might not be other cars in that class coming in the more distant future? So let's that see. Let's cool. see. That is true. And now that I think of it, there are also options of some some classic Porsches. I did a re video recently for about Magnus Walker, and I went from the 911 from 63 all the way up to the present day. So there, of course, there are a, cla a series of options, but of course they would have to be added as, as part of a series. So you could, you know, race them in the class of their own, just like you say, Georg. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of classic Porsches that are absolutely gorgeous and would be a great addition to race room. So the, the Porsches will, dr will drop this year. Are the TCR cars coming this year as well? Yes, that is the plan, yeah. Uh, shouldn't Excellent. be too long, actually, until those are out. It's always depending um, approvals and licensing situation, but uh, they're getting there. Excellent, excellent. And just had a question for you guys, and I, I actually should preface this question by saying that uh, I recently um, spent some time racing Paul Ricard in the GTR3 class in race room, and I just wanted to tell you guys what an absolute triumph this game is. It really, or this sim is, I should say, it, it really is fantastic. I just uh, got taken completely out of reality, and I, I love the force feedback. I love the sound. I love the VR experience, and I uh, just wanted to congratulate you guys. What an awesome, awesome title race room is. Um, so with that in mind, um, what are some things you guys, when you look at race room, when you drive race room, what are some cars or tracks or, or any content you've created that you think, yes, we've done it right. This is so perfect. Uh, this is something I absolutely love, <clears throat> excuse me. And something you, you're, you're uh, very excited about driving in race room. So if I take that one, um, I'd say all of the things that, that are in progress at the minute to be perfectly honest. So, so everything that, that you haven't seen is I really feel like everything's moved two steps on since, well, in terms of physics wise for me within the last six months, I really, I really feel like everything has taken two steps forward. So we're just talking about, um, the TCR class and I'm, I'm really, really excited and how, how I've already got that progressing and how, how we're progressing with it already. Um, I, I, I envisage that this is a, this is going to be a real hit. Um, yeah, the physics have just come together like so nicely. It's a, it's, it's a real pleasure to be working on. Yeah, I would have to agree with Alex there. Uh, for me, it's always the content that is coming out last that is the most exciting because we're always, you know, developing and evolving, uh, making steps forward. And every time I think, yeah, this is just fantastic. It can't get much better. Then Alex comes around with the next work in progress and it feels even better. So it's always the last card that is in progress or that is coming out that is the most exciting for me. But on the other hand, there's the, the Nordschleife that we have in game that is just absolutely mind-blowingly accurate and looks awesome and feels fantastic to drive on and it's one of my favorite tracks so i'll always go back on that track with various cars really it's awesome in terms of the cars and i've seen this um this comment many times for example in p posts about race room on race department for example if you're racing gt3 there's no option to filter cars so would there ever be an option to filter races so you could set up an ai race 
based on cars, let's say, that are introduced in the last two or three years. Yeah, it's definitely something that we want to do. I would also really appreciate an option like that. And it has been on the list for a while. Mm. Uh, you can already do it in multiplayer, of course. You can choose That's exactly true. which cars uh, you want to race. But for single player, it's definitely something that we want to do. And I hope that we get around uh, to do it in the very near future. So a uh, question for, I guess, Alex, too. Um, so the force feedback, you mentioned like the recent cars are your, are your most favorite. And I agree, they're, they're just phenomenal. So as things kind of improve within Sector 3 and, uh, you know, you bring along your, your approach to creating good uh, force feedback and, you know, better physics in the cars and things like that, is there sort of a plan to pull the previous content along like as the approach uh, to creating content changes do you also go back and look at the older content and sort of upgrade that yeah definitely um of course time's a big constraint when it comes to doing that but but i've definitely sort of got it already in motion that i've, I've got a bit of a strategy already and actually we we have actually already been working on updating a few of the older classes so yeah you can definitely expect to see more of that in fact, there's, a, there's a, a, a nice package that we're putting together at the moment for a certain old class that, that again, is, is something that, that we're, we're really sort of very proud of. Um, so, yeah, that should, be, uh, that should be seeing people's screens pretty soon, hopefully. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and you mentioned Anthony um, is sort of the genius behind the sounds. Race Room, I, I think without question, has the best sounds in all of sim racing. It's, it's just phenomenal. And uh, is, is Anthony alone in that department or does he work with a team? And um, can you talk a little bit and, and perhaps we, we could have him on at some point on, onto the podcast, but can you tell us a little bit about Anthony's approach to uh, creating these phenomenal sounds we get from Race Room? So Anthony is, of course, uh, the guy who makes the sounds, who uh, is the audio engineer, but uh, he works together with our programmers. Uh, and in particular, I think it's Robert Holm that helped him um, creating a sound engine or constantly improve the sound engine to where he needs it to be so he can uh, work at his, uh, as, at his best level. Uh, so it's not only the audio engineer, but it's also some programming, programming assistants that are that is improving the engine to make the sounds uh, as great as they are. And the way Anthony creates the sounds, I'm not an expert, but uh, of course, um, um, he tries to capture the cars um, on track as much as he can. Of course, there's not always the chance that he can do that, but we get we try to get him on the track as much as we can and put the recorder in the sound. He has. Um, pretty expensive uh, audio recorder that he then mounts in the cars. And this is always done in um, collaboration with the teams. So for example, we were at the Saxon ring um, last year. Actually, that one uh, was recorded by Alex Hummler. But uh, regardless, um, we were working with, now don't let me lie, which team was it again? Was it Roller Racing? Um, one of the GT Masters teams, anyway. anyway um, they invited us, and so we were able to mount this uh, recording device in the car, and that um, yeah, lets us record some high-quality sound footage, audio files, that then is being used by Anthony. He processes them and uh, yeah, makes them work and sound great in in game. Okay, it's it's quite an interesting situation as well with how the sounds work with the physics because. For example, a few weeks ago, we had a, a bit of a focus on 
the gear change and how the car sounds during the gear changes and and Anthony sort of described I mean he's got a, a proper musician's ear like is what I call it like to the point that he'll say oh have you heard this and to to him it's something that's like really really an obvious sound and I have to listen to it three times and I'm like oh yeah 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 sort of thing he's an absolute you know it's like a like a magician um but but Anthony drew my attention to to gear changes and we we worked together and made some tweaks and and we basically um well actually I think that was in the GT3 cars um but that hasn't been rolled into a patch yet but yeah we we basically Anthony is is sort of 10 times happy with now how the gear change sounds are for the GT3 cars so mm. so all the time we're if something changes in the physics, it, it has an impact immediately, immediately on the sounds, which is, which is quite interesting. And it's something that I didn't anticipate at first. True, of course. Uh, the physics uh, have so much influence on many departments, uh, as well on the force feedback, of course. You can have the best force feedback engine and code, uh, but if the physics are not there, then it's not going to feel great. So yeah, physics, of course, uh, very, very important. Really interesting. I have another question about the sounds because that's always something that's very important to me personally in games. I'm really happy with uh, the sounds in Race Room and I'm quite impressed with them. Um, is there something that you guys have talked about internally in the future of the sound engine that might be another revolutionary step, so to speak? I know it's probably more um, more of um, fine-tuning and, and small increments and um, optimizing the sound engine, but is there something that you guys would like to do in the future in terms of sound uh, that you could not do for whatever reason up until today? Hmm, that's, uh, that's a good question. Probably more for Anthony. <laughs> that, that does sound like one for, one for Anthony, yeah, for sure. I'm sure Anthony has a million things that he would I'm, uh, like to improve yeah, and get. I'm sure he could give you a very good answer for that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a little yeah. bit on a blank there, but but I'm I'm pretty sure that you'd have you'd give you'd start the timer now, and Anthony would be going in about 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, nerd out on sound-related stuff, and then uh, yes, a final question related to sound. So Robert mentioned the classic Mercedes DTM cars were coming as part of a 30th anniversary pack of Mercedes and DTM. So in terms of gathering the sounds for those cars, did Anthony or somebody go and find actual versions of those cars and then physically record the internal and external sounds? Actually, I'm not entirely sure um, for those cars how the sounds came to be, but uh, I mean, Anthony has a huge library of audio files he has collected over the years and uh, stemming from various sources. So. Hmm. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I don't think they were recorded by him. Uh, maybe we got files by Mercedes themselves because they got they are really really uh, supportive in the development. So that that could be. But uh, don't quote me on that. I'm actually not sure. I know for sure that for at least one of the cars, um, Mercedes did send some sound recordings across, and uh, they were obviously from their, from their library somewhere, because a few of them were actually of the engine on a dyno, which was quite a thing to, you know, you can't imagine very many people have been in the Mercedes HQ with a sound recorder pointing at, at a really no. top secret engine on a dyno. So that was like gold to get hold of. I didn't know that manufacturers actually would do that. They would actually send a sound recording. I always thought it was on the basis of the 
somebody from the development studio going by invite and actually doing it. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's not the norm. It's not always the case, but um, Mercedes, of course, have a, a huge background and, and uh, in media, and um, they have a, a big big library of data. They send us not also audio, but also um, they have uh, send us laser scans of the nineteen ninety five uh, Mercedes, which was yeah. extremely helpful. So that car is extremely accurate. And I don't know if you guys have tried it yet. It, you can drive it for free in race room right now in the competition. Uh, it's really, really spot on that car. Oh, okay. Yeah, Robert mentioned it. Well, guys, just a, a, a question to to either of you or both of you um, about race race room. Kind of the the future moving forward with race room. Obviously, you know, there's a, a bunch more content planned, and uh, you know, there's there's talk of the Unreal Engine. There's talk of DirectX improvements and things like that. Is the plan to just sort of use race room as the base and just keep growing it and there's no, you know, next step foreseen except for improving race room or is there plans somewhere down the line and we don't need to get into specifics, but uh, is there plans to release a, a race room two or anything like that? Well, as you, may know, <laughs> as you may know, the, we have um, a partner studio, let's call it um, with the Simbin in the UK, which is... Uh, newly formed studio about a year ago or so, um, which is actually the brother of our CEO here in Sweden. Um, and they are working on the new tech uh, with Unreal Engine 4. And yeah, their their title is GTR 3. So that's uh, that's the new title, which is not a Sector 3 project, but um, mm-hmm. it's, it's related in a sense. But... Uh, we here at Sector 3 Studios, we are 100% committed to the Race Room project in title right now. And it's a thing that um, is constantly evolving. And I don't know exactly. I mean, it's not my uh, my decision or my, uh, I'm not so involved in the business uh, department. But um, maybe at some point we will make a cut and say, okay, this can now be called um, Race Room 2. I don't know. Um, right now, it's, it's planned to keep. Um, developing race room in the current platform, of course, with options of new tech coming in in the future, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a new title. It's just going to be an evolution of uh, what we now know as race room. Sure, sure. And um, Alex, question to you. Um, how do you decide exactly what to improve upon with race room? You, you talk about you're constantly making improvements, um, but the title is so good as is how do you decide you know what to focus on do we focus on you know the force feedback engine the physics engine the sound engine the visuals how, how do you sort of zero that in is that something you solicit from the fans like from people who drive it and kind of give feedback or, or how do you decide um well the way that i'm deciding is really i have got certain parameters defined for each cars um and the more real data that i can collect and the more that i can understand the way that the physics engine interprets it the closer i can sort of get it to match the real data really in a way so so effectively what i'm really trying to do is just bring it in closer and closer and closer to the real thing um and have and sort of eliminate the the guesswork and and the fudge values that are in there um so so yeah that's really the way that i do it it's all it's all quite a natural evolution and and it's i'd say that there isn't really one 
particular at the moment there isn't really one sort of particular direction that that i'm focusing on it's it's very much a case of it's a bit here and it's a bit there and it's a it's a little tweak here and a little tweak there and and it's just all the time sort of evolving and growing and and maybe initially over the first six months there was a there was a lot of that and and now it's just it's very much a sort of like a tweak really rather than a big a big step um to sort of fill you in on what i did initially i built a huge massive spreadsheet to um to simulate in excel suspension geometry and it literally took me three months to build this thing and and what i can do now is i can make a suspension file really because because the way that it works works actually in in the sim is that all the suspension arms and wishbones and where the springs are is is all defined like they're actually they're actually physically points that that the game uses um and really i've i've made it sort of make sense in engineering terms so that the suspension is right really um so yeah so i sort of built this whole system to do that uh that's up and running and and that's part of a big reason as to why i'm i'm so happy about how all, all the latest cars are but but really it's a case of just a little bit here and, and a little bit there and there's a lot of like watching videos and then we have this you know the the, the real driver loop and there's a lot of listening to that and just small bits here and small bits there but over weeks and months it ends up adding, adding up to quite a big difference um i have yeah i have another question about the future of race room which um is probably very bright from what i hear right now um is there any interest in including mixed surface racing maybe in the distant future something like rallycross or or anything in that direction i mean I know it's hard enough to get tarmac physics right, and uh, soft grounds are probably soft surfaces are probably a whole different kind of beast. But um, was there any talk inside the company about that? Or well, um, there are no immediate plans for anything like that. But uh, never say never. You know, who knows what what's happening in a year or two? There are always new opportunities that are opening up and. Uh, we are we are certainly open for uh, all kinds of things, um, and I think uh, rallycross or something similar would probably be uh, quite fun in Rishum. But uh, right now we we have no plans as uh, as such. Awesome, yeah, I think it could be pretty fun as well. But I can understand mm -hmm. that there are more pressing matters on the table. Um, another thing that I would like to ask about is the AI. Um, the AI in Rishum stands out a little bit. It's a uh, very high quality, very race with. Um, what kind of, or what what efforts have gone into the AI, if you can talk about that in your respective fields, um, to make it that great? Um, yeah, that's, that's a very long list of uh, <laughs> improvements and details that have been added to the engine to improve AI racing and uh, it's been a big challenge of course because we have so many different cars in race room um, it's mm. one thing to create one perfect AI for let's say one sort of cars that maybe uh, open wheel cars or whatever or GT cars but then touring car racing is different from that and um, prototypes are different and multi-class and all these kinds of things um, 
needs a lot of work and um, over the over the years it's it's been a constant uh, process of of improving it and yeah there's details like um, when you chase an AI very closely, it gets a bit nervous, or it tries to defend the line, uh, or is is more prone to make mistakes. And all these details are have been added in the in the in the past years. So it, it's a really good experience that um, stands at the end of this process. Um, so if I understand that correctly, this is not one AI module, so to speak, that drives all the cars, but you code different AIs for different race class, is that correct? Um, well, the code is the same, right? But then mm -hmm. um, every track has an AI file and all, every car has an AI file as well. I mean, the, the AI is driving with, with the game physics and uh, they can be tweaked so they work better and you can, every track is different. So there's many things that are involved, uh, not just on the code side, but also uh, on the track and the car side as well. Very interesting. And uh, looking into the future again, is there something AI-wise that you would like to add still, maybe to make it more human, more prone to errors? Or uh, do you think that you're happy with uh, where the AI is right? I mean, I would say there's, uh, there's always something to improve. Um, what we have recently added is a sort of a randomizer for racing performance because um, we didn't want to, the same car, the same team, or the same driver, AI driver, to finish first in a championship every round. So it's now a bit different going from qualifying into a race. Um, the performance varies a bit, sort of like a day-to-day -day, um, <clears throat> yeah, performance factor. But... But yeah, I mean, what I would really like to see, of course, is uh, multi-class in, in, in single player. There, it's very, very important that the lapping maneuvers are smooth and yeah. the AI doesn't get holed up by the slower class. And uh, I mean, this is already a bit in progress. Uh, it's been a bit in the freezer, this, uh, this um, project. But uh, I hope we can uh, go back to it very soon. Really cool. Back to Alex. Alex, you were talking about your um, your Excel document and, for example, where you have the suspension geometry for many types of cars. In terms of the, the open-wheel cars, which are pretty much fantasy, fantasy cars, for example, like the Formula US, and the cars are really good, by the way, how do you work out the geometry for those cars? Or what's your touch point? Um, so I'd say that really following good engineering principles is is really the um the sort of the, the starting point um and a tape measure <laughs> and to go and look at racing cars is 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 an is another important thing that i've yeah. done uh so i've actually looked at a few of the single seaters um and been up at silverstone and been up at, at donington park and actually taken a tape measure out and just sort of like said to the owners do you mind if i just have a bit of a look and you know just measure measure things up just to make sure that it that it really makes sense hmm. and uh, and and yeah that's that's really it so the interesting thing as well is that from a suspension point of view a lot of the single seaters are, are very similar they're just scaled up or scaled down really i mean that's how they actually are that's how the real cars are so once you've sort of got one that's a, that's about right and doing about the right sort of thing, you can very much scale it up and scale it down, um, which is which is interesting. Um, but and it, and it gives you a lot of chance to really get it really right because 
because you can learn something in one car that maybe makes a little bit of an, an improvement and because it's only scaled up for another one you can you can scale it up and and therefore you can kind of develop quite quickly and in terms of let's say you bring in a um a new two or three new gt3 cars and then you upgrade the physics for the whole gt gtr class does that upgrade does that involve also tweaking the ai if let's say the performance of a particular car is either increased or decreased is tweaking the ai also part of that yeah yeah definitely so that's that's a, something that i have to be careful of actually because especially in that in in the gtr3 class because we have got so many cars if we make if i make one little change it's effectively we have to press reset on the ai button for that particular car and start again so it's it's a, it's a little bit of a reason as to why maybe i would have liked to have, have started work or, or or start to put out another update for the for the gtr3 class but another re but, but but one of the reasons that we've I've sort of held off from it is because currently the balance of performance we we think is really really very good um possibly as good as it's been thanks to the whole test team that we've got really that, that are great um and also the way that the ai are as well and they can they can handle the car and they're all nicely balanced and there isn't one car that's sort of running away with it so so yeah so so effectively when you when when i make one change to a car no matter how small it may be in effect we have to reset and start again with the ai so it's so it's something to be quite careful careful about on our side and in terms of the ai on a general basis and it's something that occurred to me when setting up a single player race let's say you have strength from you say 95 100 or so on and then you have the adaptive and i've noticed there are videos about how to do it there are posts on race department in terms of if you let's say there's a major update and there's a five or six gigabyte download you should delete your adaptive ai file and then you should start it again and if you want to do it correctly to train the adaptive ai correctly you should start with a practice start with a qualifying from you guys from from an experience and even to to mike and alex what do you guys do as a rule do you set a, a, a numerical strength that you're comfortable with or do you do you use the adaptive what what would you advise a player to do um, I'll, I'll jump in there. I, I usually use a, a numerical value because it's I use it as sort of a benchmark for my skills. So typically I start out a little bit below 100. I don't know if it's true or not, but I consider 100 to be um, somewhat lifelike um, in, in terms of lap times. And so I'll kind of use it as a benchmark. So if I'm learning a track, I might turn it down to say 90 or something like that and, uh, run until I can turn it up. And if I at any point get above 100, then I consider myself quite proficient at that track or proficient with that car. So that's kind of my approach. Um, I have tried the adaptive, but again, I just, I like to have that numerical value just sort of as a barometer of, of how I'm doing, how I'm progressing with the game. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same there. Um, I generally, in all sims, keep the AI around 100 because I consider that to be the, as Mike said, the most realistic in air quotes uh, value and uh, try to calibrate myself. Um, but I have another question for Alex. It's, it's very rare that I can talk to someone who is so non knowledgeable about car physics and the engineering part. 
And what I'm interested in is um, where do you see the big differences between modern race cars in terms of their suspension setup and um, cars from previous generations, maybe from 2030 or even longer years ago? Um, I know that the double wishbone suspension, for example, has been around quite a while, but um, are there any fundamental differences um, apart from aero, maybe, uh, that you talk about between modern race cars and vintage cars? Yeah, I think that this is a very good question. I think if you if you if you really look at it, then a lot of things have not changed at all. But I th I think all the progression has come through aero, mm -hmm. through suspension refinement and most of the most of the improvements and most of the lap times are actually from from the tie technology which is which is actually always historically been been really where most of the improvements have come and another thing is engine drivability because because nowadays you know it's, it's quite ordinary that that say a gt3 car unrestricted might make 600 horsepower and it and it'll be a nice drivable smooth 600 horsepower but if you look back 35 years, Porsche 962 had 610 horsepower. Well, a 956 if we talk 35 years, but um, but with so much turbo lag, you know, it would it would it would just not compare to to something nowadays. So um, I think really suspension sort of geometry really hasn't changed so much in the last last 30 years like if you talk top line like a like a real good let's let's keep to sort of in the last 40 years i'd say um like a real good top line sports car suspension from 40 years ago the geometry is pretty much like a modern gt3 car now um so but but what's what's different is that dampers and the way maybe that springs are understood is quite different because you only have to go to a historic meeting and and or maybe look at some videos of, of races from 35 40 years ago and you'll see that curbs were just not anything to go near at all they were just well avoided but nowadays drivers will just bash over curbs and and you know sort of think think nothing of it so so damper technology has really come on a long way i think that I think that that's that's a real big a real big difference. So if if I were to to go back and start looking at historic stuff, you basically make it just not as good, and you just sort of dumb it down a bit, and you make it so it can't quite cope with with certain situations <laughs> in, in the way that a modern car can. And I think that engine behaviour is is quite important um, be, yeah. because. Well, the, the thing that I always think about is before I raced cars, I raced carts and I raced shifter carts and, and raced on long circuits. And so I, I grew up with something that had a small engine and a really peaky power band. And to someone that drives modern race cars now, or modern road cars you know, in, the, in the present day, like some, a power band is like something that, that doesn't exist. It's It's sort of like... I mean, if I described to you an engine that basically did nothing until it got to 7,000 revs, and then then all its power came on like a switch until it got to 10 and a half, and then it then it went flat again, you'd mm. think, well, that's weird. What's that all about? But that 
when you talk about a power band like that, I think that that's how historic race engines with really hot cams were. So, you know, on the on the flip side of that, a modern a modern race engine is really drivable and smooth, and you could you could probably noise aside and power aside. You could probably bimble down the road in it and take it to the shops. It it would be sort of quite nice to you. It wouldn't it wouldn't want to bite your hand off. Um, and then when it comes to tires as well, I think that the like a, a modern race tire compared to to an older tire um, is quite different in the in fact, this is this is something that occasionally I see debated in forums and, and and whatnot. That a modern racing slick does offer a heck of a lot of grip, but they are quite peaky. They so so what I mean by that is that they will grip to a point and then they'll go off like a switch. Mm. And that is that's something that maybe in a sim people sort of get a little bit baffled by it sometimes. But but that literally is the way that it is. Um, that at the limit of grip it can be on a bit of a knife edge but then if we're if we're talking about historic stuff again they they were not like that if you talk about cross ply tire uh, yeah cross ply tires from from 40 years ago they would sort of give a reasonable amount of grip still at, at you know quite a lot of slip angle when you've got a four-wheel drift on and then if you push it a bit harder it just sort of gradually give up there wouldn't be this knife edge sort of thing so a modern tire has a more peak grip but it drops off faster, whereas a historic tyre has less peak grip, but is more forgiving sort of around the limit. Does that Very make sense? Interesting. Uh, so would you say that modern race tyres kind of sacrifice drivability a little bit in order to achieve a higher grip level overall? Yeah, or that's they... definitely... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely what I'd say. Although, Very... although there's probably been a bit of a movement away from that again. Um, when we, you know, over the last 10 years, it's, we, we've seen race series, more and more race series have a spec tire and they tend to, to, to come back away from peak performance and tend to, tend to go more in towards drivability than being a, being a real sort of peaky, hard to handle tire. So that's, that's, that's something that's sort of quite interesting. Hmm. I How think different anyway. is it for you to get data from vintage? I mean, I know you have cars in the game that are from 70s at least, maybe even older. And um, do you run a modern tire on that car or do you try to replicate what the uh, tires did back in the days? So with the historic stuff, we try to keep it so that they have got like effectively an historic tire. Uh, the, get, you can imagine getting data like get, like trying to get bud from a stone. It's really very hard indeed. <laughs> so we have to, I mean, e even if you went to, even if you talk to people now that run historic cars, they really run a sort of approximation of a, a historic tire, which isn't necessarily right, but it's kind of almost ish is, but it's, mm. but it's closer to a modern tire than, than the, the sort of in period. Um, Tire. So when it comes to that, really, there's a there's a lot of talking to drivers, and I'm quite lucky that I've got got a few a few sort of contacts um, that that can sort of put me on the right sort of track with it. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of head scratching and a, and a bit of approximation and a bit of a uh, 
maybe if we do it like this and if we do it like that. <laughs> but 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 to be perfectly honest, with with the historic things, um, with all the historic cars that we've got currently in game, all of all of those are Carsten's work. So Carsten, who I took over from, um, in the sort of handover process that we had before Carson left the way, we did run through literally everything. So, so we had, I think one day we spent about 10 hours on Skype, just discussing and talking through and making sure that all the facts and everything were all just, you know, we were on the same sort of song sheet and everything made sense. And I understood everything and he told me everything. So, um, so yeah, so what he, what he'd done with those is really started a clean sheet and, and, it wasn't based on a on a modern race tire. It was a it was a completely new interpretation of how really he thought a historic tire should be, and and I think he's done a really good job with it. Really interesting. So, would you say that you prefer to work on a modern race car in comparison to a vintage car because there's more fresh and current data available, or do you have a favorite in general uh, between modern and and vintage? Well, that's a good question. Again, what's really strange that I found is that sometimes when you have a lot of data from a modern car, you have all the data from a modern car, it can be a lot harder to do because, <laughs> because you, you're not sort of filling in the blanks with what you think's right. Yeah. You, you've been, you've been told like, and you have to sort of make it work. And we talked about the, the Mercedes DTM cars um, that are in the, the competition at the moment now let me tell you that i'd estimate it took me about six weeks to get them right and that was that included about three weeks of working on them and nothing else now that was a major effort i just couldn't quite get them right they, they were just they were very very edgy and just would bite just at the just when uh, and eventually it got sorted out but but yeah, that was very hard, but I mean, I suppose you probably count now a 2003 car as a So, um, but personally, I, I, I really enjoy, enjoy a mix, to be honest. Um, I've got very much a soft spot for, I mean, you probably guessed because I was talking about them just a minute ago, but, but cars from 35, 40 years ago, sports cars. Yeah. Um, so really because the rule book was very, 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 very brief and the cars were stupidly quick. So it really appeals to me. <laughs> and I mean, if we go further back than that, it's all, it's all, it's all brilliant. I mean, I'd be, I definitely wouldn't say no. And I'd, I'd really relish the challenge if, if we were suddenly told that we were going to do a 1906 Daimler Benz, you know, that would be, that would be brilliant. Oh, yes, so yeah, bring that on. Let's do it. You know, it'd be, it'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause, yeah. cause, yeah. The way that the physics engine works, like we could, we could do it. Like there's no reason not to. It, it's, you know, yeah. we've got a, there's a way that we could simulate the suspension, the tires, the engine, you know, I'm sure Anthony would like to make that chug chug noise. Um, <laughs> and a classic, uh, classic yeah. horn as well. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the honk honk horn. Yeah, indeed. So. And for a car like the 95 DTM Mercedes, <clears throat> sorry, Georg mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. Prior to releasing that, how do you, is there is there a QA process? Does somebody at Mercedes have to check it? Are you lucky enough to find a driver who actually drove the car? How do you actually confirm that your your simul your your estimated simulation, shall I say, is is as close as possible? Or do you is it just feel when you're actually testing the car yourself? 
so well we got that that's one of the cars that we got a lot of a lot of numbers and a lot of we got the laser scan for it so mm. that means that all the suspension is right we got all the numbers for it so it was very much like a case of make all the numbers fit the car and it will be right basically um we've got all the aero data and the car dyno sheets you know everything so yeah. so really the only room for error there really was in the tire and i mean we we, we weren't lucky enough to actually be able to run a, a, a sort of in driver loop with it but you know we sort of did a lot of testing and just ran it progressively and over over about that was one of the cars that took about about six weeks to develop um and yeah just just sort of kept kept tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it and um and yeah we just sort of got it to the point that we were happy with it okay and then then drew a line and back to the ai if i may if you guys alex and georg uh, from sector three yourselves. If you're offline racing, what what settings are you using? Are you using adaptive or 100 percent? Or if I if I might ask. Well, it really depends on the car that I'm driving. Um, hmm. Some classes the AI is a little bit quicker or a little bit slower, but I usually tend to be somewhere between 105 and 115. Okay. Um, but uh, what I usually do when I'm racing offline is that I'm I'm starting from the back and I'm trying to find my fight my way through the field. I think it's a it's the most fun most yeah. fun thing to do. So I usually go a little bit uh, lower than what would be matching speed to my speed. So yeah, but I would say between 105 and 115 is is my go-to setting. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. I'm somewhere sort of about about there as well, but but what I what I like to do myself when racing offline is set the AI to be so the quickest AI are just a couple of tenths quicker than me, like and that that will be it. So so that I like so when, when I'm racing offline, it's literally like there's a carrot dangling and 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 it's always a massive challenge. And I know I'm not going to win, but yeah. like I've got something to aim for, like and a, and there's this real sort of incentive to like be absolutely on it. Um, I I sort of I almost feel in a way when racing online, if I get, uh, run, when racing offline, once I've got to the front, it's a bit sort of like, oh, they're not going to fight back now, kind of Where thing, you know, now? sort of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I like myself to just really have that, like, or that basically impossible challenge is what sort of appeals to me. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, there was a story on Race Department a few days ago. And it was from, I think it was uh, Jean-Francois was talking about, I think it was from him that you were talking about upgrading your DirectX graphics engine prior to upgrading to Unreal Engine, which is connected to the Simbin development in the UK that Georg mentioned earlier. Now, I don't know if you guys can talk, but I, would, I just wanted to bring it up because it's interesting. But is this DirectX upgrade, is it to improve uh, performance and better support the VR? Because... I've seen references on in the comments on that article that, for example, DirectX 9 is now a legacy system and it may not even support VR anymore. Or is it to improve uh, CPU performance prior to implementation of Unreal Engine in the future? I would say that, um, yeah, uh, I switched to DirectX 11 or 12 or whatever it may be. Uh, I mean, the fact that we got VR working in DirectX uh, nine is uh, almost uh, close to a miracle, but uh, yes, we somehow managed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, 
there's uh, various areas who would benefit from that uh, performance um, features like VR or even other post effects. We were looking into creating some sparks, new spark system or particle system in general. Mm. And uh, those are certainly areas that would improve from a newer, newer DirectX engine or uh, yeah, new DirectX. But um, I don't know how far we are with that process. So I don't, I don't know how much I can comment on that. Yeah, no, that's okay. It was just an interesting story that, that came up um, during the week. And now I'd like to um, have a kind of a general discussion, if I may, just about motorsports in general and then the, perhaps the, the future of, um, of Race Room, depending, of course, on what you guys are, have the ability to comment on. As a motorsport topic in general, there was the recent, recent announcement of these hypercar regulations to replace... LMP1 at Le Mans in 2020-2021. So anyone, anyone get any thoughts on this as motorsport enthusiasts? I personally, myself, I do quite like the prototype. So I don't know what to think of the, of the new uh, regulation. But um, I've, I've seen this uh, was it Mercedes Project 1 car, hmm. uh, concept car. Yeah. It looks okay, but um, not quite as racy as the, the 919, for example. I, I somewhat prefer those uh, prototypes, but uh, yeah. maybe for the racing, it's it's better in the future because we have seen manufacturers leaving and there's not many teams left. So if they have to go into that direction to have bigger grids and more exciting racing, then it's uh, it's welcome on my side. I guess it'll be a bespoke race car class, maybe like back to the days of the McLaren F1 or the, or the Porsche 911 GT1, kind of the fantasy race cars. And I assume if the regulations allow it, they may also include some kind of hybrid technology because the LMP cars have been doing it. Yeah, I mean, those those cars that you mentioned, they're certainly uh, very sexy cars. Mm. But uh, for me, they are a bit too close to what is now the GTE or GTLM class. Yes, um, that's also true. So I don't know what would be the, the huge difference there. Maybe mm. they're not running GTE anymore, but GTE... Um, the three or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was gonna I was gonna pick up from that. I, I um when I think about those well the, the latest announced regulations, yeah. It it's I just wonder whether they I mean I I don't really know what to visualize to be perfectly honest. I don't know whether it's gonna be a throwback to sort of late nineties, mm. you know, with the GT one Le Mans, because I mean that was a brilliant era. But yeah. to be perfectly honest, when you look at those cars, they're not really that far removed from what we've currently got in P1. So no, it's it's yeah. I'm I'm not really so sure what to think about it. it it'll obviously obviously transpire and and be interesting. But one thing that I I do have a little bit of a concern about is that surely something like that, like really, I mean, it's, it invites manufacturing involvement, but does it require it as well? You know, is there a possibility there of alienating a lot of privateers? That's true. Yeah, well, I guess a lot of it will depend on the affordability. That's always a, a huge concern for private teams, of course. Yeah. But as long as they're still using combustion engines uh, that sound great, then it's all good in my book. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was good. just about to, to mention that, actually. I am quite curious to see when or where electric cars will kind of fit into those races. I mean, we have Formula E already. 
Um, but I think I, I I don't really know how to feel in general about electric cars in, in motorsports. I think the technology is uh, progressing very fast, and uh, it's yeah. only a matter of a couple of years, I think, until we will see more and more and eventually exclusively electric race series. So I would reckon in about 10 to 20 years, I don't know if we're going to still have uh, race cars going around um, with fuel uh, engines, combustion engines. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so as well. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe the on in the future, the only way to drive a V8 or a V12 or a V10 will actually be in a simulator. Maybe that'll be it. Yeah, they will, they will stay in the simulators for sure. Yeah, so not only not only us non-race drivers who will be driving fantasy cars in the, in the simulators, maybe the real race drivers will be doing it too. Yeah, I thought <laughs> about that. Uh, I thought about the possibility that maybe a car brand would release a car in the future just digitally, you know, because you can't really drive that on the road anymore yeah. uh, because of regulations and all the kind of stuff. But maybe um, if simulations become more widespread and more popular that maybe Ferrari says, hey, we'll just build a car, but you drive it on the road, but you can drive it in a sim. Who knows? Well, uh, you've seen that Audi, uh, that it came out in Gran Turismo, right? Yeah. Uh, it came out in Gran Turismo as a concept car, as well as in reality, I think on same launch day. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, yeah, the, the digital world and the real world are definitely getting Gary. closer. Yeah. yeah, and that's like a remake of the the IMSA GTO car, and it and it's also quattro and fully electric. Yeah. True, true. That's very interesting. Now, there's something that I made note of, and this is perhaps something that maybe a producer at Sector Three could comment on. But and I know as a studio that you guys are tied to KW, and in terms of what you can create and a lot of focus is there to create software to support the simulator hardware side of the business but could we speculate on the possibility of in the future like tracks like Le Mans or Sebring or Daytona ever appearing in race room or for example the LMP1 hybrids or the 4GT or a Ferrari or an Aston Martin now for example you have an LMP1 which is listed as under P1 in race room, but that's from 2011. So do you ever see the possibility, now maybe you can't comment or don't wish to, but do you ever see content like that ever appearing in race room? Well, like I said earlier, never say never. Um, those are very interesting cars for sure. And uh, I would not say that we're excluding those. Um, but uh, a lot of things depend on, you know, opportunities that... Um, we, we uh, meet uh, with partners like WTCR now or Mercedes. Mm. Uh, so if a business opportunity um, opens, then we are ready to, to yeah. make a, a, any cool car. So yeah, who knows? Is there anything that you guys yourselves would like to see or like to have, let's say hypothetically, anything at all, if it was possible, what would you like to see in race room? That race room would benefit from given that like the physics are good the sounds are good the force feedback is really good what would you guys like to see mm. well as you mentioned um yeah the Le Mans products are certainly interesting but we will see what uh, what that class will be in a couple of years um yeah i like i like uh, endurance racing a lot um GT racing as well. Um, big fan of the VLN series on the Nordschleife, of course. You got all sorts of cars there, and actually, quite a, quite many of those are 
uh, either in the game already or on their way in the game. So, um, yeah, I, I love uh, racing on the Nordschleife uh, with uh, different cars, uh, GTs, touring cars. And uh, as you might know, I have a league called Race from VLN. So yes. we're uh, we're racing there every two weeks um, with three different classes. So it's it's a lot of fun. So that yeah. is definitely my cup of tea. So so I think that I'd quite like to see um, some '80s sports cars, maybe some some more GTOs would yeah. be would be really cool. I'd quite like to see some tracks to go with it as well. I mean because. You guys, maybe you know, maybe you don't, but back then in the 80s, over in the States, a lot of the circuits were street circuits. So, mm. um, and really, very fast, pretty hairy, 200 mile an hour street circuits. So it would be, it'll be really cool to see some of those. And from, from sort of modern cars, I think that it might be really interesting. We've got the, the Hill Climb Icons class. Yes. But Time Attack might be something really interesting to do. Um, you know, if we sort of look um, look around the world, there are some some really interesting cars being built. You know, to to do to do that, um, and some really really advanced projects. So it would it would be really quite interesting, maybe to do something like that and have have two or three of those cars that are basically you know very minimal rule rule book, very very quick, pretty crazy uh, yeah. crazy thing. So so that would be really something interesting. Speaking speaking of classic content. But uh, now that we have the DTM 95 Mercedes, uh, I would love to to add the other cars that were released. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That. that would be fantastic. But, uh, mm. Let's see what we can do there. That's what Robert mentioned. He was a, like a big touring car fan. And in terms of online racing now, I have to admit, I'm not a great online racer. And one time I joined a session, I found a random session on Race Room, the Race Room servers, and it was a practice at the Nordschleife. And I took, I headed down the Nordschleife and somebody came the other direction in an old um, BMW M3 and took me out. So I just thought, well, oh, enough of this. Oh, really? So, yeah. Well, actually, we have a, we have a setting that uh, uh, admins can enable that uh, ghost cars that go yes. along the rest. Yes. Yeah. But do you, are, are most people, are they, I don't even know if most people are aware. There's this tool in um, Steam, which is great. You can actually set up your own server, which is great. But. Are most people, are they setting, setting up their own server using the Steam tool? And are most of the servers that are, appear online, are they, are they appearing from that tool? Or are there servers that are set up, if you know what I mean? Yeah, so uh, we provide um, around, I think, 30 or 40 just open servers that are yes. password protected for everybody just to join. But uh, we've seen a trend of a lot of um, leagues setting up their own servers and uh, give out the passwords to their to members exclusively. Um, but that, now we also have um, this uh, community-built uh, uh, racing system, uh, sim racing system. You might yes. be familiar with. Yeah, it's so been added. I, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, it's an awesome way of uh, doing online racing, in my opinion. I've been using it quite a lot in the past, and uh, I will jump on it very soon again. I think. Yeah. And in terms of online racing, for anybody listening to this, Georg, and to you, Alex, for somebody listening who wants to get into online, would you, can you recommend a server they should try or a server for a particular class or using the same racing system? Or how should they start? Let's say, because I find, well, well, maybe I'm not so great in a particular car or a particular track, and then I start in a race and I spin out, and then people kind of are ahead off in the distance, and I'm the 
last guy and then I just quit. So for somebody just who has some time and looking to start online, where, where should they go? Well, um, first thing I would recommend to you is uh, not join the service with the free content where everybody, yes. uh, they are usually very full with people who are not so serious about the, the online racing. Mm. So avoid those servers. And then uh, any other server is usually pretty good, the racing. Um, but of course, if you, if you really want a good online races, uh, you should join a community. And we have sections on the forums. We have a race from Discord server where people are inviting people to race. Um, there's the race, uh, race department club, of course, and, yeah. and various other leagues that I would highly recommend. Uh, if you're serious about racing in a controlled environment with people that are, that are taking it seriously, um, that is definitely the way to go. And okay. also sim racing system. Yes, uh, I can link to the race room Discord below in the description. So that's pretty much it, I guess, if the less there's anything anybody wants to discuss in terms of forthcoming events or features in race room. Well, keep an eye out on uh, WTCR content coming to race room very soon. Um, yeah. Make sure you uh, join the Mercedes e-racing competition where you can drive those classic Mercedes cars for free. And uh, we just recently launched a... Uh, Porsche e-racing championship with race from Russia so you can uh, uh, drive that as well for free uh, yeah. on the time attack uh, yeah there's uh, plenty more coming look forward to having older content updated in more more than just physics okay and um, and actually if, if if people let us know like which which of the older content is sort of really like they feel like needs needs more love that's always quite interesting to um to hear okay and where should they go to do that is that via the race room forums or yeah via the race room forums is really the, the best uh, the best, best place. place you know it's all, it's all there for okay. us if i want to try the um 95 dtm mercedes the classic one is it so that i have to partake in the um competition to try it out for free yeah, that is currently the, the only way that you can drive this car in this competition. But of course, um, when time comes, uh, we will be releasing this car as well. So you can drive it uh, online and offline everywhere you want. Okay, okay. So eventually it'll be included anyway. Well, Alex and Georg, thank you very much for joining. I really thanks appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks very much for having us. It's been an interesting discussion. I was looking to hopefully talk to you guys at one point and and thankfully I've been able to do it. So it's been really an enjoyable discussion and thank you very much for joining. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. As an addition to this episode, we'll be including a one page quick car setup guide that Georg and Alex created. We'll include a link to it below in the video description on YouTube. If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it that on YouTube, you could add a like. And if you haven't already, consider subscribing to the channel and also click the bell icon to receive notifications for future content. Also on YouTube, please feel free to leave any comments or questions in the comments section below. This episode will also be available on iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher podcast services. If you find that you cannot access those services in your area, there's also an RSS feed option to add to a podcasting app or you can simply download the audio file. Instructions and links and any other information related to this episode 
will be included in the video description of this episode on YouTube. So until next time, thank you.